Hi, and welcome to the 12th House Podcast, where we pull a curtain back on the unseen and sometimes uncomfortable elements of the wellness and well-being space and shine a light on the conversations, ideas, and topics that don't always get the play that they deserve. I'm Michelle Pelazon, the Adwitch in Charge here at Holisticism, the parent company of the 12th House Podcast. And today, I'm delighted to pass the mic to two of my teammates and our co-hosts, Thais and Janelle. You know, we have a small team at Holisticism. It's Thais, Janelle, me, Wallace that's it. And we meet every Tuesday morning for our weekly stand-up so we can kind of connect and touch base with each other and gaze lovingly into each other's pixelated faces on Zoom. And our meetings are only supposed to be like 10 minutes long, but they always end up being so much longer because we genuinely enjoy each other's company, which you probably can tell if you've ever listened to a team episode on this podcast. And a couple weeks ago, we were talking about Black History Month and kind of how we wanted to approach it as a company and a brand and content creators. And it was a long conversation. And I was kind of surprised to hear everyone's take on it, to be honest with you, which was, you know, so often Black History Month feels really co-opted by like capitalism and brands that are not that authentic and like honestly not that dope and uh, really disingenuous. And that was the opposite of what we wanted to do. And our conversation kept going and we felt like we wanted to shine a light on that conversation and let people in on kind of like our thought process and how that looked for us. And Thais and Janelle were super game and volunteered to record this podcast episode talking about that and also talking about what it's like to be black in the wellness space. Because wellness and well-being and especially the new age spiritualist world has really first off, appropriated traditional indigenous cultures and practices and has centered white, cis, hetero, ableist, affluent people. And that's obviously really problematic. And it's something that at holisticism, we're really working hard to change and to decenter and to instead elevate the voices of the people who often are ignored in this space or who are trampled over and to provide an opportunity for them to be at the center instead of on the margins. So Thais and Janelle recorded this podcast episode and, you know, originally we were kind of thinking that it would be something around what it's like to be Black in the wellness space and also how wellness brands sort of take this month, the month of February and how disingenuous it can feel. And the conversation really evolved into what I feel like is totally appropriate, which is how we as a community, especially white people, can be better allies. And I think it's our responsibility, obviously, as people with white privilege to use our privilege for good and to decenter ourselves in these conversations. And to listen when those who experience marginalization tell us what they need. And so I'm really grateful that Thais and Janelle wanted to record this episode and spoke so freely and shared of themselves. And I also want to invite you to listen with an open heart and an open mind. And you might not agree with everything you hear, and that's okay. You know, 
we're allowed to disagree with each other. The point is we need to hear each other. And so I hope that you hear this episode and it resonates with you in some way. And I can't wait to hear really like the actions that you decide to take from it. And I want to thank Thais and Janelle for their excitement and enthusiasm in recording this and also for all the amazing ideas that they bring to the table here for anyone who wants to be a better ally. And I think that's it. I'm going to let them do the talking. Welcome everybody to the 12th House Podcast. It's me, Thais, she, her, King, King, and we've got... You've got Janelle, she, her, hers, Queen. You can call me Queen too. I'll take Queen. I'll answer the Queen. I will definitely What's up, Queen? queen? What's <laughs> up, Queen? I was looking at like an email thread that I had to do and just about everyone had their pronouns in their like little email signature and I was like look at 2021 it's happening it's a real that's why you just have to learn to embrace it or I'm talking to myself I have to just learn to embrace it not that I have an issue with pronouns it's just remembering them for myself is always the thing but I love it I'm embracing it also I'm realizing I can really claim like truly how I feel like I am a queen Call me queen. She, her queen. I discovered that last podcast and I didn't. Oh my gosh, girl, put it in your bio. Put it in your email (laughs) signature. I'm trying to tell you, people will start calling you queen. People be calling me king. And I just be like, you better talk that talk. I love it. You are a king. You really really, are, Thais. I really really do feel like I have big king energy. You do. You 100% have BKE. All right. So today we are going to be talking about something that's in the air right now, which is tokenism, tokenization of Blackness and performative allyship within the wellness world. That's what the fuck we're talking about. We're getting straight to the nitty gritty. Here we are. Thais actually brought this up in our last conversation and she brought up an example of something that happened. I think it was in Wiccan. Yeah. So like The whole thing about, so it's like you look at Black History Month and you see a lot of brands and a lot of people talking about like African-American History Month, Black History Month, Black Future. And then they use this month to talk about like the Black things that have happened or the Black inventions. And you just realize how some people use Blackness as an option or Blackness as a tool for consumerism Mm -hmm. or to further capitalism. And when push comes to really shove, when it's not Black History Month, the question is, where are you and what is your voice? Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that I can pinpoint was like after George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor, I saw there was a lot of outrage and a lot of enraged white people. And what it showed was the brands that have white people at the helm, but are marketed towards black people and the tone deafness of their interactions or the tone deafness of their like responses to blackness outside of a context that they understood. And I feel like they understand like black history month and what to do then, but in times of crisis, or in times when we actually need a response, it's just like, if it's not making money, then we don't know how to like deal with you actually, because you're just a commodity. Right. It's really, they spend that time and utilize that platform really just to pander to us to make another 
dollar because what they also know to be true is that black people actually spend the most money. <laughs> we yeah. actually spend a lot of money in this country. And so it behooves them to target us. However, it behooves us as a society more for them to actually take responsibility. That's my opinion. And so I guess really one of the things that I'd like to talk about is what does that actually look like? You know, I definitely... Mm-hmm. I think we all recognize the tendency to pander during this time and this month, but that doesn't mean that you can't actually take this time to be a real ally and to actually mm-hmm. take actionable steps to figuring out how do we further the advancements of people in the Black community who have been and still continue to be oppressed. Yeah, I just, that to me is, I don't know if that's something that we can necessarily tell people to do, but I have a lot of suggestions though. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people find themselves, particularly white people, find themselves asking them this question. And one of the things I feel like you have to look at is where Black people have ultimately suffered the most, right? In education and the family system and the economic system. How can you actually apply the advantages that you have as a company, the resources that you have as a company to further the advancements of Black people in the world of education, in the world of economics and real estate and And wellness. And wellness. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Exactly. And wellness, which is really the key, right? It's just where it starts. Can we get all black people therapy, please? Seriously. (laughs) But can you know what? That's such a wellness in and of itself is a space of privilege and it sucks. But it's like in order to be having conversations around being well, I don't want to make a generalization around Black people because, you know, not we're not a monolith, but a lot of us don't have the opportunity to like have abundant mindsets or sit and meditate, you know, because mm-hmm. you have people who are trying to survive. Survive. Yeah. Just trying to live, literally. Right. Say. And so what you find in like wellness spaces, I find a lot of performative allyship. And let me just take it back real quick. At the beginning, Janelle mentioned like a company and it was Wicked, the theater company, when like after, I shouldn't laugh because it's not funny, but it was so like tone deaf. I was just like, y'all can't possibly be serious. Yeah, it was laughable. They put out the Wicked, the Broadway show, you know, with the Green Witch Glinda. They put out a, a ad on Twitter, a tweet. And they were like, we're all in this together. And it was a white person's hand and a green hand. And I was like, what the fuck? Where's the black person that (laughs) y'all supposed to be talking about? Exactly. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's what I also feel like happens. It's transferable to just about every industry that like is run by people who don't have anything to lose and who has, if they show up, it's because they have time or they're like, they're like, enraged and so they do something but what we see is like rage is not sustainable and so like when all the things were happening you see a lot of people in cahoots on twitter and on instagram and like holding up the signs and honking your horns black lives matter i saw a hell of white people with their black lives mm-hmm. matter signs and we were and i just was like let me see where y'all gonna be at in two months Mm-hmm. And watch those sidewalks were empty. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's just like 
performative allyship because at the end of the day, what are you willing to sacrifice? Can I just tell you, I'm so glad that this happened. I'm so glad that we're having this conversation right now. And I'm so glad that last week, the episode of Blackish was what it was. <laughs> because I will say, I'm a big fan of Blackish. I'll, I'll just leave it there. I do think it can get a little preachy at times, but overall, I'm a pretty big fan. The last episode of Blackish, they actually talked about Andre trying to be a support system to his white brother-in-law who was trying to be an, a good ally. And the funny thing about it was, Thais and I talked about this a little bit, what's Black people's responsibility in, I guess, supporting white people in their allyship. But it was really great in this episode, Andre went through like the gamut of feelings and emotions in helping his white friend try and be a better ally. And he ultimately gave him the tools and the suggestions that would help him do the things that would further the evolution of Black people. And one of those things was to pull his kids out of private school and to put his white kids in public school. Yes. His white friend did not want to do that. That's where he drew the 100%, line. 100%. <laughs> he didn't want to sacrifice. And the thing was, right, his argument of that was, well, how do I know that that's going to work? If it's just me doing it, that's not going to be enough to change the system, you know? And he's like, well, you right. put your Black kids in a private school school. Why don't you put them in a, in a public school? And he's like, well, that's not the, he's like, the point is, is that they pull white people out of public schools and leave brown and black kids in public schools and don't give them the resources. Public schools don't get the resources until white kids start going there. That's why it's important for white kids to be enrolled into public school. We put black kids into private school because they don't get the resources that they need in public schools because they're not being right. funneled into. So it's just like, I thought it was such a brilliant episode. If you don't like blackish, I would definitely suggest you watching that episode, but it was was really real I feel like to, at the end of it for the conclusion for the you know white man to come to terms with the fact that he wasn't willing to really do what really the needed work. to be done he 100%. was not willing to sacrifice his own kids when it came to his own family it was just a bridge too far and that is the part where it can feel a little hopeless sometimes as a black person I'll say when I start talking about mm -hmm. allyship because I have to ask myself if I were to put myself in their shoes would I be willing to give up the power and the authority. And I'd like to say yes, because I'm a human being and I want fairness and equality for all. And if I see my fellow being suffering, then I suffer too, you know? But I also yeah. recognize through a lecture actually that I listen to almost like once a year, Dr. Joy DeGruy talks about post-traumatic slave disorder, that just as Black people are traumatized, white people are traumatized as well. Yeah, but they're traumatized in a like in a different way. But it's still something that we don't necessarily understand. One hundred percent. Can I tell you? Can I tell you something? Please. Like, yeah. you know, whole the whole thing picnic that comes from yeah. pick a nigger. Pick a nigger. So yeah. imagine like you taking. I seen this picture of this little white girl sitting on her dad's like shoulders, licking a lollipop, watching a black man be lynched. Yeah. And then I was just like, listen, that's a whole nother layer of trauma for you to be licking a lollipop, watching a black man swinging from a noose and acting like that's normal. And here's the thing, white people, this isn't your lineage. This is your family. You cannot disconnect your yourself blood. from it. It's in your blood. And therefore that is something that you must reconcile. And I think mm -hmm. that what's that white guilt or whatever? My white thing guilt, is like, yeah. listen, keep your white guilt do something about it. I don't need your guilt. I need to see what you're willing to do because Janelle just said it, like how the idea of being hopeless around what can actually happen. Like when people have power, regardless of their skin color, 
they're trying to keep that power mm-hmm. because inherently our society isn't, I mean, are we really It's wired talking? that way. It's how we value things, I think, specifically in this society. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100% individualism and so like truly if black people were to be empowered they would oppress they would Mm -hmm. oppress other people because we aren't meant we don't have systems in place that say it's okay for us to all be equal or to have community like you know they shunned communism and like socialism granted i'm no like who who don't people are the people that know like (laughs) what's that politics politics (laughs) yeah there you go you got it i ain't no politician out here but i'm just saying like the idea of capitalism and individualism just like further separates and like ingrained system for oppression and when the people who thrive off of that aren't willing to sacrifice anything to disconnect themselves from their grandmother who was at a lynching licking a lollipop that's Mm. your grandmother Mm. like you know i'm saying you can acknowledge it and feel guilty but then the question is what are you going to do about it what Mm -hmm. are you going to do about it and that's what we're saying like there has to be a level of sacrifice. Like it's not enough to inconvenience yourself and like get shin splints because you were marching or tell all of your friends. That's not enough. Put your money where your mouth is. Or if you know that there is like, I don't know, just step down from your position and let a black person who is super qualified mm-hmm. take the spot. I saw somebody do that. It was on Reddit. I think it was. Serena yeah, it was Alex. Williams. It was Alex Ohanian. He stepped down from his spot on the board and he in order to allow for a black man to take that position. And they did fill it with a black man. I implore everybody who's listening to this podcast to do that shit. <laughs> yes. To sacrifice something. Yes. And I, I want to add something to that, too, though, because. Not everybody, right, is necessarily in a position where they can sacrifice right. something, where they have something to sacrifice. And then it becomes, okay, mm-hmm. well, then then what is the work? Mm-hmm. And the, one of the reasons why I do want to bring up the idea of white people being traumatized as well is because there's a healing that also has to happen on that side through that. You're so compassionate. <laughs> You're so compassionate over here. Thank you. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> You're um, seeing both sides of it. And I'm over here like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> that's real. That's so real. That's a whole other thing because I carry shame in that. I do. It's a, it's a hard thing to have in conversation. And I get it. You know, like it's, I get it. I'm a black woman. I, I understand it and I feel it and I know what's real. And yet I also understand that at the end of the day, we really are all human beings. Yeah. We no, really all are right. here in a space where we have an opportunity to celebrate the things that we all bring to the table that are different. You know, I think that's yeah. really what the purpose is. And so I try to stay in that energy as much as I can, but it's, there's levels to this shit. Right. But I do want to say that for the, for those who are not at the space where they have something to sacrifice, I think that the work is in your healing. The work is, mm-hmm. is in your acknowledgement of where that privilege and where that dissonance still lives within you. And how you can change that within yourself so that you're no longer experiencing. Because that's what it is, right? That little white girl who was at the lynching with the lollipop and the big smile on her face watching a human being being hung from a tree. Somebody's daddy. Somebody's daddy. Literally, somebody's daddy, somebody's son. She experienced cognitive dissonance, right? At that point, that person was no longer a human being. Just like 
the trauma of slavery is ingrained in the DNA of Black people today. The trauma of that shit, of cognitive dissonance, is ingrained in the DNA of white people today. That's why so many, I feel like white people don't understand the idea of white privilege, right? Like that they can't grasp or concept that idea because it's their standard. It's the normal for them. It's the basis by which we live off of. Mm-hmm. And so to me, for me, that's the work for all white people, no matter what level that you're at, is to find that healing and to figure out where that dissonance still lives inside of you and how that plays out in your daily life. Because better believe it does. It does. There are ways in which you are unaware of the impact that you have on other people in the world that you could really be taking another look at and that will serve the greater good of society truly is what I feel I have a question for you so after these white people reconcile with what has happened and they've done their healing then what and then what do you think could be helpful next steps but like after you do your reconciling your healing what you gonna do And I do think it lends itself to what are you willing to sacrifice? Mm -hmm. And sacrifice doesn't necessarily look like stepping down from your position. And maybe you're not in that place where you're going to integrate the schools and send your kid there, even though you really should. But sit with yourself and really ask yourself, what am I willing to sacrifice? That's what I'm trying to see for Black History Month. I'm not trying to see no more commercials from McDonald's Mm -hmm. talking about da 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 da. Wait, do they still do that one? (laughs) Yeah, they definitely do. It, it pops up every once in a while. They got the black like a suave commercial trying to sell shampoo to a 4C hairstyle. Don't fucking do that shit. Are you kidding me? Like, we're never going to buy suave. It's never going to happen. That's not true. I'm sure a lot of black people buy suave, yeah, but I'm not the no, one. No, because I would <laughs> buy their conditioner, but also... <laughs> but like, it's not you for know, black they... hair. I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't pander to me, damn it. <laughs> but I don't yeah, have hot like... sauce in my bag. <laughs> yeah, I don't really even like hot sauce. I, I don't go that far now. I do. I do like hot sauce. I don't go that far. That's who you thighs. I'll give you that. <laughs> I just don't keep it that close. That's all. <laughs> yeah, but thinking about it, I know that y'all are hearing. I don't know. Maybe somebody is gonna like buy this. I don't know. I don't know what people do for Black History Month because I'm just black. I've just experienced it. Yeah, I but... just live it. <laughs> It's Black History Month every day, (laughs) literally. (laughs) But when you're thinking about that and places to patronize and things to do, really just take it a step further. Inconvenience yourself, but sacrifice and really just be like, all right, this can be an option for me, but it doesn't have to be if I truly am about wellness and like making sure that things are accessible and inclusive and people, Breonna Taylor's like murderers have yet to be arrested and that was that that black attorney general or district attorney whatever came one day and and made this like Mm. little speech for black history but yeah and i was just like what's his name whatever his name is i don't care who cares i don't want to talk his name i want to say his name i was just like oh my god you're such a disgrace to yourself bro like what Yeah, that's internalized oppression. That's a like straight up case. And I, I'm not trying to diagnose the brother, but to me, that is a straight up case of internalized oppression of like, you have believed all the things that white people have said yeah. about black people and now you're using it against your own, which is really unfortunate. And you're pandering, but you know what? It's not a surprise they did that back in, like, you know, when they had the light-skinned person in the house, Sure. you yeah. know, and then, she, and she found out that some so-and-so was planning to like leave the, the plantation 
and she would go tell the mistress and then she would get like extra privileges or what extra like ham hocks or something and then the black man who was trying to leave was like whipped it's the same way things pass on in lineage that idea is still there so when I saw this district attorney I was just like oh bro I know you you're like a your sellout like this is what we've seen this before you know mm-hmm. 100%. I don't even know how we got there but let's take it back to the uh <laughs> because the fact is is that really truly black people are still being murdered in the street right now that has not stopped we're in 2021 and we're carried over from 2020 from 2019 from 2018 from freaking 1932 you know what I'm saying it's all the same yeah. And so, and and not to, and, I'm and sorry, also I, like, I, not to disparage or talk down on the advancements that have happened because there have been things that have happened. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge the fact that it's at this point literally still life and death when it comes to Black people and Black bodies. It is still, and guess what? We do not have the privilege to pick ourselves up from the bootstraps. That is the way that people say you get to the top, because guess what? In order to pick ourselves up from the bootstraps, we need to have bootstraps to begin with. And so you have people that say things like, well, education, educate yourself as a Black person, do the things. It's just like, do they have resources and tools and access to the books? That's why we're telling you to send your child to the public school so that you can see what they don't have and maybe they'll bring it over. It's just like, and then I remember when I lived in Brooklyn, before it started gentrifying and like when it started Oof. gentrifying like the garbage trucks started coming regularly and <laughs> like this is what happens when white people move in like we get like basic needs covered right like, right the trash right. is taken out every monday and yep. so it's just like yeah like maybe if you send your kid to this school then you'll see like maybe he'll have access to books yeah. that he that's not torn up or like outdated that's heavy shit, man. I just have to say it's heavy shit. And I can only imagine the intimidation of having to make those type of sacrifices. But let me tell you, that is literally all it's going to take. I mean, when I say that, I mean, like, we can't make it there without those sacrifices. That's just the truth. We cannot make it there without those sacrifices. And so we cannot make it without the sacrifice. I really loved what you said, Thais, because yes, I, I think I was looking at the, the word sacrifice pretty narrowly in that moment. I think that, you know, for those people who aren't in those positions of necessarily a power or authority, but are just sort of living their day-to-day lives, there are small ways to sacrifice. There are small ways to look at things. And again, I think that's where, again, the work of figuring out where the cognitive dissonance shows up in your life, you can see where that shows up. And then adjust accordingly and then figure out even more so, you know, where you can continue to sacrifice. But it is, it's like just as small as, you know, patroning a black restaurant or I don't know, even sometimes like those men on the outside of, you know, freaking Lowe's who are like panhandling their CDs, support a brother's dream, you know, buy their demo tape. <laughs> He's trying to do the, you know, the hustle, the door-to-door hustle. I respect that. There's something you can always do to sacrifice and to take that extra step. And yes, inconvenience yourself. That's it. So you're going to have to break yourself out of that mold and that, that space of comfort in order to actually be an ally. That's what it takes. Mm, in order to actually be an ally. How do you think people are navigating in this world after all of the things that we experienced last year and they still are mm-hmm. have not reconciled? For sure. I'll, t- I'll tell you how. We li- have lived through now solidly almost over 300 years of oppression. The dissonance and the trauma that has happened on both sides have taken place over that time. 
the undoing of that is not going to happen within the framework of a year, not even two. The awarenesses are not all going to come to people within the time frame of a year, not even two. So that's how I believe that. That's how I believe. That's how I see that. And that's not to say that I think that there are white people out there that are like, oh, there's no problem. I'm not talking to the white people who don't think that that race is a problem, right? Those white people, I have nothing to say to because you are living in a space of delusion and that I, I can't help you with. I'm talking to the white people who recognize that it's an issue, but have no idea what their responsibility is in that and have no idea how to navigate that or face that or even acknowledge that. That's what I'm talking to, you know? I don't have time for the people who are just going to be delusional. That is like, y'all can go to Mars somewhere. I'm good on that. You know, you guys <laughs> can if, go to Pluto. It's not even a yeah, planet. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, but for those who are genuinely, who have an instinct, who know that there's something not right, but have no clue how, what, who are stuck in their fear of it, right? Who are stuck in their victimization of it, right? I I give, I hold space for that. And I give room for that because we're all human beings. And again, white people have also been traumatized in this. It's just been different. That's how, that's how I think. And I respect and appreciate the way that you think. I mean, it's clear that we are not a monolith. And you said it earlier about the levels, because there are some people that are, you know, like you, Janelle, who sees both sides and is willing to have compassion. It just shows me how the compassion for me is just not there. And so I'm like, oh, I have to do the work because if I'm out here talking about like accessibility and we're all in this and I'm just like, then I'm inherently doing the thing that is not good. It's just like centering my peace Mm -hmm. and my joy and creating and holding that container for myself. And so a lot of that just looks like Black wellness Mm -hmm. and black happiness and black forgiveness and black grace and black compassion and I think because that is something that is important to me I don't see outside of that because it's just like let me cultivate that which is of me Mm -hmm. so that we can you know be nurtured when we have to go out into the world with people who aren't doing the work and that's where what like I love what you do when you're just like we are the human race I have my days there are some days where I'm not there too I have to be honest (laughs) right but we need you because if somebody comes to me with something I'm gonna be like you know who's better to talk to Janelle (laughs) she can relate she has the like space and the energy and the compassion I'm not there Wonderful self-awareness. Wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, that's real. And I think on that note, our responsibility as Black people in our community and to, to the greater Black community, but also just to ourselves and how... How do we center our peace and our joy and our happiness through this time? Especially because, Thais, you hit on the fact that wellness is a privilege. I can say that I am so grateful and and very much recognize the privilege that I live in my life to be able to have access to these types of things, to have the mind space to even think about resting. There's so many Black people who don't even have time to think about resting. Resting. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what the fuck? That's a real thing. It's way more common than you realize. And this is for for black people who are are like quote unquote successful and black people because they're still living in worlds that are white worlds. They're 
still having to yes. navigate white world. I think about my dad who and works still in having a, to prove and still having to prove, you know, I've heard stories. My dad works in the corporate world and he's high up in the corporate world and he still deals with shit. Oh, yeah, Her that, daddy is for real y'all. Yeah. He still deals with shit that like will break his heart because it's, yeah. he, he's a man and a human being. And there are still people looking to him like he's a, just a black, a Negro. You know what I'm saying? Yep. 100%. And he's accomplished so much. It's crazy. So yeah, I would like to talk a little Shout bit. Shout out to Rod real quick for all his Shout accomplishments. Shout out to my daddy. My daddy. We love you. It's we your birthday. You. Happy birthday, Aquarius. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Yeah. So, I, you know, how does how does that look? How do we, especially as Black people in our places of privilege, how can we and what is our responsibility in being able to lend that access to people who don't have that in our community? I will say, I know I, 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 we always have to start with ourselves because without having a full cup ourselves, we can't pour into anybody else. So it always starts with the self-healing work. But when we feel like we're at a space where we can lend that energy out to others, what does that look like? And how do we do that? And because it's something I know that I'm very interested in. It's something that I... I feel like it's a responsibility of mine personally to my community, to my brothers and sisters. These are my family members, you know, but I don't always know what that looks like, you know? Yeah. I feel like it looks like exactly what we're doing right now and Mm -hmm. having conversations and also resting for the people, for the black people that can't rest. I'll take, I'll be resting. You know what I'm saying? Like we'll be having a great time resting so that we can be poured into so that we can pour into you, you know, so that we're pouring from a full, well-rested cup. I love that. I feel good about that. And I think (laughs) as, as we move forward, opportunities as they are presented, we'll feel and know what's right. And I think a lot of it is faith and trust and moving along with spirit for me, at least, and trusting in that. I want to help the kids, man. I try, I'm trying to get out there and do all the things. But yeah, I think, you know, my dream is to run a nonprofit and like specifically to help Black people find their bliss. And I feel that is like one of my ways of doing that, of lending that access, you know? I also want to give grace to the fact that what we as a people have experienced, what our ancestors experienced, I kind of chuckle at that a little bit because it's it's almost unfathomable, right? No, it's 100% unfathomable. Yeah. So I just want to give grace to the idea that like the anger and the righteous indignation is very real. <laughs> And also, and very human and very necessary and very much a part of this process. 100%. And so we will, I, my hope and belief and prayer is that we will all get to the place where we recognize that we are all human beings because there's really no way to avoid that, right? Like at, at the end of the day, that's a fact. We see it happen all the time. People ignoring it, people not understanding the gravity of it. Again, people not associating the fact that these are human beings out in the streets that are being murdered for nothing more than the color of their skin because they've been taught to be feared, you know? We're taking it a step further. People who think I patronized this Black-owned business back in May and I did my part. Yeah, 100%. I supported the black owned business because not everybody is out here like overtly racist, I think, or no. doing things that are hurting. But if you are complicit, if you do not speak up, if you support in silence or if you do the support and then go back to living your life, just remember, we don't have the option to go back to living our lives, especially when our husband is killed, our father is killed. 
I was thinking about like sacrifice and I just because like I grew up in the church or whatever. And, you know, you're supposed to like tithe every Sunday and give 10 percent. And I know like in Seattle, my friend Bana, they she like every month pays rent to the Duamash tribe, which are the original people that lived there on her land. So another way to sacrifice is like if you have the income and you have it like do a monthly subscription to something that is anti-racist or I have a great one. Don't shop at Wayfair because they were the ones that were sending furniture to the camps that was housing. Yeah. With the immigrants at the Uh border, they were the ones that were sending the beds and stuff. And I was just like, wow, that's actually unkind. It's one of the things that I wanted to share in terms of what corporations and businesses can do. I mean, obviously we know that companies have access to more resources. So this is very specific to large entities that can actually funnel a a good amount of money to, to certain areas. I would suggest doing one of a few things. You can either donate money to a family of a slain person of color. You can also create a solidarity fund for protesters because, you know, they're locking black people up for protesting every day now and, and white people and other people of color as well. But I think that you have to get political as a company. I think that you have to show what you stand for. This is why I'm glad Hamilton came on. There's a line in Hamilton where it says, where Hamilton asked Burr, Burr, if you you don't let them know what you'll stand for, how will they know what you'll fall for? You got to let them know what you stand for companies. And not by, again, pandering to the black dollar. History not month. by trying to sell us something during February, through the 28 days of the year. Get involved, get political, set up funds, it's like establish something that is consistent. Establish or like high something key. that people can come to. Or high key, like find out somebody's cash app. If you, like, there are tons of people on the front line, like black women in particular, who are doing this work that do not have the support or the advantages. And you might follow them on Instagram and they might have a lot of followers or they might not, but they might be doing the work. Send them some money. They probably would really appreciate Money Speaks. Give that person a level of freedom so that they can be poured into and then like be filled up so that they can do more of the work. That's how I think, Mm -hmm. you know? And that that can be also non-monetary as well. Like yeah. Providing yeah. a safe space. Yeah. You know, and being yeah. a, a shoulder, somebody to there who's just listening. I read a, I'm sorry, really quickly, just because I read a really interesting article that talked about, there was a, a study at a university in Truesdale. I have actually no idea where that is, but they said that the there was a, a law firm there with black lawyers and the women who succeeded the most at that law firm for whatever reason they succeeded with i'm going to butcher this i just should include this in the freaking podcast but basically they had allies they had a white particularly a white male ally in the space and that like helped them to like supported them and like in their success 100% so, yeah. and that's space. something that that's actually something I have experienced like within the last year and a half I remember just like the whole upheaval and me feeling like I had to do something and then Michelle just being like yeah no that's not your work actually it's my work as a white person and let me talk to my white people and 
it was just, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was just like, damn. Yeah, I'm as a Black person, as a Black woman in particular, I am just so used to having to do the work, having to be the one that speaks, having to be the one that's strong, having and never seeing or feeling like, you know, being supported in a way like that. Also, it being in an echo cham- chamber, like all of us Black women are just like, yeah, we're Black. Mm-hmm. But when she did that, then then I saw what she did because I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, this is important. And this is a part of how we fight. It's a part of strategy and it's a part of smart work and not hard work. Because at the end of the day, yeah, like I want to be a well-rested king fighting the fight for my people. So let me see who's around that wants to also be anti-racist and do the work. you know in a part of this like look at the listen to the black women's or black people's voices they talk about anti-racism like for instance like Frances Beale never forget Jennifer Morgan a junior year at NYU I took a class called black feminisms changed my life it's where I met Bana Taylor and Charlene I hope you listen to this podcast anyway (laughs) but there's one um, person named Frances Beale and she talks about double jeopardy to be black Mm. and to be woman and that's helpful i think in addition to talking about anti-racism but to really put yourself in the shoe of black women who are the pillar and what does it mean to be behind a black well she was talking about black men you know we, we can definitely open it up because it's not just always a black woman and a black man it's like whoever you choose but in our capitalist society like being behind a black man supporting him who is being like demeaned in the workplace by a white man and then having to navigate his emotions and when he takes his feelings out on her like all of the things and then just like feeling unsupported because you can't go to your black man to have the support because this man doesn't have the tools and he's also being oppressed and it's just like it's a lot it's we so don't. deep that is that like I'm you just hearing like that's almost this feeling of like we don't stand a chance with each other as black men and black women. Wow. And I know that's not true. I know that that's very much I know that the the opposite of that is true, but the feeling and the energy behind the frustration and the anger and the feelings of not feeling heard and seen oh, from both girl. sides. Girl. When I tell you all that shit is so tangible and real, girl. and this is coming out of like a black, this is coming, just coming out of like a relationship with a black man, right? Where like shit like that comes up. It's not something you can avoid. And especially with the past year that we went through with everything that was happening, you know, who we are as black people, it's really always at the forefront, but it was like fucking zoomed in on, you know, for the, it's been zoomed in on for the past year, you know? And it's it's yeah, it's like, the there are a lot of conversations, yeah. 100%. And what you said about we don't stand a chance, honestly, I know that you say that it's not true, but that's a feeling that a lot of Black women have, where it's just like, it might work out, but it, I mean, I'm not going to hang everything up on it. Like, I'm going to get what I get. Like, you know, because that's all I've seen. There's I didn't so grow much, Yeah, there's so much trauma. There's just so much trauma. And all I can see, I always see this visual of just like the like epitome of like black male, like standing there and the epitome of black female. And I'm just using male and female as like energy because I'm like, I'm not necessarily saying man and woman, like an all binary, like everything is in between that. So the epitome of black male and the epitome of black female screaming at each other. I'm in pain. Why can't you hear me? I'm in pain. Why can't you hear me? 
And they're both just trying to get each other to feel each other's pain. But we went through it together. But yet somehow we were like split up in the chaos of it all and pinned against each other. It's really awful. It's really awful. And we can break down all of the ways systemically that that's happened because it's a very real thing. It's starting with like war against drugs and like locking up the, you know, black males and wait, wait, let's take it a step. The black let's, families. Just, let's just break that down real quick. The war on drugs, where the drugs the were implanted drugs, in the in communities the yeah. with people who were already who were bound to be already traumatized, the, already right, struggling, needed an escape, and then how that funded the private prison system mm-hmm. by filling the jails with mm-hmm. the people that they put the drugs in their communities to then further their pockets, and that's why lobbyists will then vote for certain, like do all of the things so that certain people will get in power, so that we'll have certain tax breaks and like private prison, and like that's why Wayfair can go ahead and support like those concentration camps inherently. Yeah. Thank you for breaking that down. Cause that, that is it. I mean, it, it's systemic. It's just what it is. Again, we can look at facts and like numbers and history and, and that is a very real thing. And so, yeah, I, the, the conversation when it comes to the black male and the black female is a heavy one for me. And I think it's something that will, and hopefully in the coming years will be a huge topic of conversation as we hopefully start to find our way towards more awareness and equality. That is I mean, hope. I feel like, yeah, but for real, for real, this is my plea to Black men. Please get the help that you need so that you can have a healthy mind, so that you can raise healthy daughters and be healthy husbands, and so that we can undo a lot of brokenness that is happening. Black women, too. Black women, I mean, but too. But that's the thing. A lot of Black women are getting, like, we be the ones doing the work. We be the ones doing the work, going to Man. therapy, trying to have the conversation. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? And I do. I do. I want to like not agree with you, but I'm like literally in my own experience. I kind of I feel like I experienced that. And <laughs> we are used to that. We are used to being the ones that do the things. We're used yeah. to it, and then like coddling our men, or then being like, you know, come on. But it's just like, no, nah, you. It's kind of the same with like white people. We want them to be our ally. You know, Black men, if you really want to, like, protect us and do the things that we are asking, that we're pleading for, do the work. Do the work, the internal healing work. Oh, that came from a real place. Shout yeah, out to and it's a, and it's a real thing. The work, though. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. there are definitely Black men out there doing the work and respect exactly. and appreciate that. I mean, that is, it's very real and it is very necessary. And a lot, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So I employ that too. And that's for only those who aren't doing the work. It's not a generalization of Black men. But also for those Black women who aren't doing the work, you also go out there and do the work as well. You know, I think that there's a... I'm going to leave it there. I think that we could have three other podcast episodes based off of this. Now I'm thinking about relationships and being black in relationships. And that's a whole other world. It really is. It's a whole other world. But yeah, go get the help you need, everybody. And hey, how about white companies bringing it back full circle? Why don't you sponsor this therapy? Because part of the issue is, is that Black people, some of them don't have access. Even like me, I go to a sliding scale therapist, right? I pay 40 bucks a week for my therapy. That's the max I can really do right now in my life. (laughs) I could not afford anything greater than that, you know? And there are people who aren't as privileged as I am. And so you want to be an ally, which is what this is all about, this episode. Put 
your money consistently where your mouth is and put them into places where black people have suffered the most. And if you don't have the funds, then use your voice, use your social media platform. But we're asking mm -hmm. for consistency rather than rage and a torrent of information. We're asking for you to be consistent. If you are, yeah, go ahead and call. Find out why Breonna Taylor's killers are still not in jail. Go ahead and call that number. Don't support Sean King. We're not fucking with Sean King. Wait, um, I don't want to say that. Why do you say that? Girl, you ain't finding out. Oh, he's like a misogynist, not like a misogynoir, which is when you do misogyny, particularly to black women, erase their voices when people like, girl, there's like the tea. There is the tea. We don't fuck with you, Sean. I was like, I don't know any anything about that. I have to do that research, but I definitely will now that you said that. Yeah, there have been a lot of women on his team that have come out and say like, if we say something that he disagrees with, he demeans us and then he changes it and then he like says what he's going to say. And also, if you look at a lot of the like there was something something happened recently and he used it as an opportunity to talk about it, but then promote his book that talked about the same thing. And so it's just like, bro, like this isn't even about you or your book. I think it was about Meg the Stallion when she, oh God, poor Meg. I'm going to make a comment. Poor Meg. <laughs> Yes, poor Meg. I love Meg. Meg is fine. I love Meg. No, no, she's so not though. That's the thing. It's because like we expect her to perform, and guess what? She's come back and doing. She is performing, and she's doing so really well. Remember Britney? I watched that Britney Spears documentary when uh -huh. she had that mental breakdown, and her daddy became her little conservatorship, and she uh -huh. went back and she was doing the residence. She was she was performing. Yeah, but what we was think she doing? Meg Stallion is going down Britney Lane right now. Is that I how we don't. feel? But I can fully see when a black woman has experienced trauma at the hands of a black man and she has to compartmentalize and perform because at the end of the day, she is a commodity for you to make money and for herself to make money. Mm -hmm. But at what expense has she gotten any sort of apology, any public vindication, any support? All of she may not ever. She may never get that. She may never get a public apology. She may never get public vindication. She's going to have to do that work for herself. And here's what here's why I say I, I don't know if she's not OK. Because I, I I agree with everything you're saying and and everything you're saying is right. But what I do see that I feel like the differences between her and Britney Spears is Britney Spears felt like never had anybody around her to support her. Period. Like there was no. It felt like there was no, her parents were already on but like no, off the I'm rails. Not comparing Meg to Britney, I'm not doing that. Let me let me just say okay. the thing. The thing about Meg the Stallion is ultimately. Yes, she is in a, in a industry and in a position where ultimately she's selling herself as the commodity. But I feel like what to me, Meg feels like she has more authority in her own life and self to regulate when she's not OK. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's not hard for her. And I'm not saying that she hasn't faced a lot of shit because she has, especially with what she did experience in the public eye and then the way that people came at her for that, which is ridiculous. But I think that she had I feel like she it, she feels more strong within herself, if that makes sense. That's the only reason why I say oh, I do hope that there are people out there supporting Make the Stallion, like real people in her corner who are like really there for her. But I also I feel Meg and I think Meg, you, I think you're going to be all right. I mean, she definitely is. But imagine the stored trauma that she's had to compartmentalize. And that's what I'm saying as a Black woman, like there was no support for her really. And there is no public vindication. And Tory Lanez is doing just okay. And there will be people. And it's just like, and you have to navigate with that. And what, so then what story do you begin to believe? Will you ever feel supported? 
I don't know if there was no support, no support for her though. I don't, I, I mean, mean, here's the thing. Support, but my whole thing is if Ariana Grande was shot in the foot, you know what I'm saying? We would have been in cahoots. People would have been in trouble. There would have been more people speaking up. Uh, like, I was just like, y'all just don't cape the same when it comes to like black women. But then you expect us to be like big old freak, big booty, big old freak on the David Letterman show. And that's mm-hmm. when you clap and tweet about how great it was. But you wasn't saying a damn thing when a black woman was hurt because you don't once again know how to un- you don't understand that. It doesn't translate to dollars or being entertained or something where you really have to reconcile with the discomfort that black people have to feel because it doesn't bother you. Yeah, well, that is a very real thing. We definitely see that in all industries where Black people are the main successors, all sports and entertainment. We we are used as commodities very often. But I do want to say really quickly, backing up to the Sean King thing, because this brings up a topic yeah. that is not, I think, spoken about often. But I got to a place last year at some point during all of the chaos where I had to ask myself, to what extent am I willing to call out another Black person, Ooh. especially in white spaces? Ooh. Depending, obviously, on like what the call out is, right? Like depending mm. on what has been done, you know, there are some things that you can't, you just, you can't like, you know, Bill Cosby, right? Like that's just atrocious. We can't do that. But also freaking Weiner, the white guy. I don't even know. Harvey Weinstein? Harvey Weinstein, you know, like we'll we'll give give that the same space. It's like it's all awful. So I can call that out and not feel any shame about that. Sean King gives me I have an issue with with that because one, I I don't know exactly what the issue is with him and and his misogyny. I have not done that research. Misogynoir. Misogynoir. What's the difference? It's just a lesser version, a lighter version of misogyny. Misogynoir is misogyny specifically directed to black women. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So I I would, I need to look at that. And also the reason why I am like, okay, I think that black people have to be better at holding each other accountable. But right now I don't like doing that in white spaces. Mm, Yeah. Because it feels like you're selling out or like we need to be together. Yeah. It feels like, yeah, no, I hear you. It feels that. like like our shit in the family, like you keep that shit at home, you know, like don't let that shit walk out the door. <laughs> because here's the thing, at the end of the day, we've got a shit ton of protesters out there, a shit ton of people who are really advocating for our community who are not perfect. Actually, none of them are perfect. And they all are going to show up in ways that are going to tick some people off. But I think how we deal with that it feels like that matters to me for whatever reason right now. It feels like and that I matters. Hear you. I think it's different for me though when it stems to like patriarchy. Cause I'm just like, all right, bro, what you're not gonna do is I, I stand with black women. You know, we can deal with our stuff behind closed doors, compassion. Like if I have to call you in, so on and so forth, and we have to argue and then we go back out to the world. But like when you're a black man and you're erasing my voice and you've been told. See, this, 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 this is to me, what you just said to me completely points towards why part of the reason why there is such a break and a disconnect between the black and the black male and the black female in our relationships. Like there's this thing where I think there is this ideal of black women where we have just given up, right? Like we will take care of ourselves. This is what we've been expected to do. This is what we know to do. And so we're just going to do that. And, and the black man just got to fucking catch up. 
You know what I'm oh saying? Oh my God, that's a hundred percent how I feel like. I'm not even really checking for you for real, for real, because I can do it on my own. You know, yeah. and and that's not that's not the thing because like you know those that's... are our sons and our brothers and our uncles and our nephews and our cousins and like our fathers and like they were trauma they went through the trauma as we went through the trauma so it's like if we could figure out a way through that if we could recognize that we were literally pinned against each other through that through circumstance through systematic racism th- like they did this to us if we could recognize that and then come back to holding space for each other because black men do it to black women. They do the same thing to us and put us in a space. And again, I'm, it sounds like I'm generalizing here and, and to an extent I am, I am, but obviously everybody's an individual. We all have our individual experiences, but the grand experience of that dynamic and that energy that I'm talking about is very real and is very present. And I just needed to point that out because how we talk about that matters. And it also like will either perpetuate the issue or it will start to serve as the healing for it, I feel like, at some point. Because it's going to, it has to happen. I think it has to happen. I want Black children. I want a Black family. <laughs> I want and you a black will family. have that. You're, you're going to have that soon. Yeah, I know, I know. I definitely will have that for sure. That's really all I want. That's all we're striving Honestly, for. Honestly, truly. Like, I'm just like, uh, I just want to, you know, I want to be a soccer mom so bad. <laughs> Like I will be the soccer mom that takes professional portraits of my child, like playing on the soccer field and will sell them in the PTSA. And then the funds goes towards like anti-racist work or something like that. You know, I'll, I'll be that mom. I love it. I do want to say that when I was doing my research, I found a really wonderful, and I'll just read a couple of them, a really wonderful checklist on power shift dot org and it's a checklist for white allies against racism so this is a a checklist with like i think 30 different questions on there to see how anti-racist you are and a lot of it is about consistency i'll i'll read a couple of them the first one is i am present at meetings to make sure anti-racism is a part of the discussion so these are like community meetings or if you're at a university do you go to different meetings from different cultures and your on your campus i demonstrate knowledge and awareness of the issues of racism I use the language and political worldview of anti-racism. Here, number 12 is I strive to share power with people of color. Where can you share power in your life? We all have a point of power in our lives that we can share and extend to another. Where is that in your life as a white person? So I'm going to share this. This is a wonderful list. This is on powershift.org. And I just have never seen anything so thorough that sort of details all of the ways you can be anti-racist consistently. And so I, I would encourage you that if you're confused on what anti-racism is, if you're confused on how to be anti-racist on a daily basis, please take a look at this list. And um, Yes. And thank you, Janelle, for taking the time to do the work know that you are not responsible for the, doing that work but I see what you did and you know what I, I can feel the energy right now we are in the age of Aquarius and mm-hmm. so Aquarius is I, I do feel there is a shift I think people who are listening to this we're not attacking you and telling you oh that you're God, bad yeah. as a white person like we're not doing that what I am saying is I I feel like we're leaning into what sacrifice inconvenience consistent helping like we're leaning into those things and we're shifting this earth on its axis and we do have to become political so I thank you in advance 
for your sustained political stance against racism. Thank you. I thank you in advance. And I'm telling you that I see that you are doing the work. It's hard. But we appreciate it because this is how we get towards like a more just, restorative world. And so back to the age of Aquarius, like it's about new thought. It's about dismantling old ways of thinking. So this is all a part of the process. Like even a conversation like this, where we're candid and clearly ruminating and saying things that may not be right. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's all a part of the experience. Well, this is good though, because you know, this is how cancel culture be. Somebody can use a soundbite from this and be like, remember when Thais said this in 2021? And then they use like the soundbite and try to cancel me. But guess what? Who job bless, no man curse. Hey. Can't nobody take anything away from you. I don't know what accent that was. I'm an honorary Caribbean. Thais, tell them, tell them. <laughs> you are Janelle. You, I appreciate, you be putting in a lot of effort. And I, I try, I try so hard. <laughs> I want it so badly. You have no idea I want it so badly. <laughs> we thank you so much for joining us on the 12th House Podcast. Yeah, holler at us if you have any questions. I want all the questions. Mine is Janelle Renee Pearson, my full name, J-A-N-E-L-L-E-R-E-N-E-E-P-E-A-R-S-O-N on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> you guys can follow me on Instagram. I'm Thais, like phonetically, Thais, so T-H-I-G-H and Y-E-E-S-E, Thais. All right, well. All right. This was fun. We hope you enjoy the episode and hit us up with you. Actually, I really do want to know you all's thoughts because this was a very vulnerable and real conversation. If you have any questions, text us at 818-699-9735. We want to hear what you all are willing to sacrifice. It may take a moment. Let's sit, meditate on it, but definitely think about it. They and, yeah, so hit us scared. up. This is really a safe space, truly. Like we are here holding space for all the people. We understand that if you're coming, it's because you have an intention of wanting to do the right thing. So I hold space for that. I honor that. And yeah, hit us up. All right, I'm out. <laughs> all right, bye. Bye.